Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. Another seasonal crisis looms for the NHS, meaning a difficult start for the new Health Secretary, Victoria Atkins. And despite Rishi Sunak pledging to reduce the hospital waiting list, it has continued to grow. Atkins told Laura Koonsberg that more money than ever before was going into the NHS and the government was using that money to increase its workforce. She implied that recent industrial action was partly to blame for the long waiting list, despite seeing a graph that showed a steady increase in its size since 2010. Let's just show people what's happened to the, to right, the numbers because it's important to understand that. the, con- the, the context. Yeah. This is what has happened to waiting lists. We know, of course, the pandemic made things much more challenging, yeah. but our viewers can see it was going up well before the pandemic. Lots more money has gone in. There are many, many more staff. This is the situation that people like Lynn are having to deal with. So if I may just try and explain some of this. So um, you're absolutely right to explain more money than ever before going into the NHS. And we have deployed that on trying to get more people into the NHS. So this week we met our manifesto promise that we would recruit a further 50,000 nurses into the NHS. That is great news that we've been able to achieve And there's still tens of thousands of vacancies. But but I'd like you to address it because this is the Prime Minister's target and it's going the wrong way. In terms of waiting so we have all these um, the, the plans that we have in place to deal with urgent emergency care, to deal with what is called electives, in other words, people that are coming in for non-emergency care. Um, but we do have to acknowledge that the impact of the industrial action mm-hmm. has uh, really had an impact on waiting lists. So it's since December last year, we've seen some 1.1 million appointments mm-hmm. have to be rescheduled. And so when I was appointed as health secretary, uh, I wanted to try to address the industrial action with doctors. And I'm really pleased that in the last three weeks I've, I've been in post, we have been able to reach a settlement with consultants. And I very much hope that consultants will vote for this when it's put uh, to them that will help to address some of that but we are very clear that you know we want uh, our doctors our nurses to be able to work in the NHS because uh, that way we'll be able to not just deal with Lynn's case but obviously help uh, prepare for the future. Camilla Hawthorne the Royal College of General Practitioners Council Chair had a more complex view of the issue. She said that striking NHS workers had very valid reasons for their discontent and that reports suggested the waiting list problem was not just due to industrial action. Hawthorne pointed out that modern medicine was keeping people alive for much longer and therefore costing the country more. She suggested the country needed to decide what it wanted to pay for in healthcare and figure out ways to cut down on inefficiency and waste. All this money goes in. Mm. Health secretaries enjoy boasting about it. And then yet for taxpayers, more doctors, more money, in lots of cases, care getting worse and waiting lists going up. So what are viewers meant to think of that this morning? Paying all this tax, the NHS is protected unlike other departments. What's going wrong? Well, certainly in general practice, as you were saying, the number of full-time qualified GPs is going down. And so we are um, pushing lots of young doctors into general practice, but they are leaving the profession faster than they're entering it, going going to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, you know, where um, they have a better quality of life and where they have um, a better work-life balance than we have here. 
I think you've got to bear in mind that, you know, over the 30 years that I've been a GP, mm. medicine has changed dramatically. So, of course, it's going to be more expensive. People are now surviving who wouldn't have survived when I was a junior doctor. We've got some really impressive treatments that are keeping people alive with a better quality of life than ever before in terms of heart disease, stroke and so on. So um, it's, it's some of it is that it does cost more. And to some extent, we have to decide what we want to pay for as a country. And we also need to um, have a look at the NHS and in terms of its management, how it's managed and where there's waste. This week, Keir Starmer attempted to woo Conservative voters with an article in The Telegraph in which he said Labour would get Britain back to greatness and described Margaret Thatcher as having dragged Britain out of its stupor. Trevor Phillips asked Shadow Business Secretary Jonathan Reynolds if that period of greatness was indeed referring to the country's Thatcher years. Reynolds said Starmer was not endorsing a particular Prime Minister, but rather making the point that Labour could be a vehicle of change. He claimed the way in which the party had changed under Starmer was proof that they could do the same with the country as a whole. All right, look, um, let's let's talk about politics. Um, your leader this morning says in a Conservative-leading newspaper that um, Labour will be the change that will, I'm quoting here, get Britain back to greatness. Um, when was that greatness that uh, you're getting back to? Was it when Margaret Thatcher, and I'm quoting again, he says, set loose our natural entrepreneurialism? Well, look, the point that Keir is making is we can be the vehicle for change in the UK because we can point to how we have changed the Labour Party since 2019, how Keir has changed the Labour Party. And for people who are happy with everything in the UK right now, if they want the status quo, you've got the Conservatives. And if you want to change, if you want better public services, a better economy, better living standards, Labour is the vehicle to do that. And if, if I, look, if it's not about so, looking at any particular period. If, if I can interrupt you, I, I don't think that is what he says. He says that uh, Labour will, quote, get Britain back to greatness. He does say we've done something with the party, but he's very specific in his piece that he is looking back to a point of greatness. And I just want to know when that was. The point that Keir is making is not to endorse any prime minister, be that a Conservative or a Labour one, but to say we've got better days ahead, but we need change to do that. I mean, if you are a conservative who, for instance, wants people to own their own home. You don't get that under this government. If you are somebody who wants to conserve the environment, you don't get that with sewage in the waterways under this government. If you want control of the immigration system, you don't get that. So we will appeal, Trevor, to Labour supporters and to supporters of any other political party to say, if you, like us, want to see change in the UK, it is Labour who can deliver that, and we can prove to you we can deliver that, because we can point to you how we have changed the Labour Party. And I think that message of change is integral to what Keir is saying. There's no golden era that we should be pointing to to say that's how it should be but it is about saying if you want a better future Labour is the vehicle to deliver that. Koonsberg also spoke to activist Ndelika Mandela the granddaughter of the former South African president at COP28. Mandela said that the climate crisis is creating a new kind of apartheid in which the poorer global south bears the brunt of climate change which is largely caused by the global north. She claimed countries in the global north were using their economic and legal power to subjugate poorer countries and pointed out that African countries produce only a small percentage of global emissions. Your grandfather changed the world with his bravery and charisma in dismantling the apartheid system in South Africa. You now have talked about climate apartheid. What do you mean by that? And do you think your grandfather would approve of you using that term to describe what's going on? 
Yes, because I mean, apartheid was a a systematic a, a systematic method of discriminating against people and they subjugated, especially black people, and it was held by a few, which was a, a minority, minority group, which was subjugating black people and humiliating them on a daily basis. Similarly, climate, uh, I call it climate apartheid because that has been exported to a global stage where the global north is using their economic and legal power to subjugate poor nations who are, are at the brunt of the effects of, of, climate, of, of climate change. That's why I call it climate apartheid, because it's a similar way that the apartheid use, they use their, their economic and legal power to subjugate black people. Similarly, the global north is subjugating the global south with, uh, 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 with the, the carbon emissions, because uh, Africa and the global south has the smallest percentage of carbon, of, of carbon emissions more than the global north. That's why I call it a climate apartheid. Finally, after the humanitarian pause to the conflict in Gaza ended, Israeli bombardments have begun once more. Koonsberg said to the Israeli Prime Ministerial Advisor Mark Regev that to many, Israel's actions look like collective punishment, which is illegal under international law. She pointed out that Israel's allies were becoming increasingly alarmed at the number of civilian deaths. Regev suggested that the numbers put out by Hamas were exaggerated and claimed that the IDF was making an unprecedented effort to be surgical in its fighting. In terms then of what is happening now and the continuing bombardment and the effect on civilians, it's very clear, Mr Regev, in the last couple of weeks that your allies who want to stand by you have become increasingly alarmed by the scale of your response. The American Vice President Kamala Harris said yesterday that Israel has a right to defend itself, but not at any cost. To many observers, it looks like what Israel is doing is a collective punishment of an entire population that is illegal under international law. President Biden said at the beginning of this that the lesson from 9-11 was that a country must not be blinded by rage. Isn't that what's happening here? Not at all. I would assure you that that is not the case. And we're making a maximum effort. Uh, 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 I said before I used the word uh, unprecedented uh, to try to keep uh, civilians out of harm's way, to avoid them having, getting caught up in the crossfire. Uh, that is not our goal. That's why we've, we've actually sent out maps uh, a few days ago, uh, which designated the safer areas for people to go to. But it has to be clear, our task of safeguarding civilians is made especially difficult by Hamas's deliberate strategy of embedding its military terror machine, its command and control, its arms depots, its missile launching sites amongst civilian neighborhoods, under hospitals, inside mosques, even uh, schools and UN facilities. And so we are trying to be as surgical as we can be in a very difficult combat situation. But I think when this is over, and the, the numbers are actually known because we're all actually using today the numbers of, uh, uh, put out by Hamas's controlled Ministry of Health, and they have to be taken with a grain of, of salt. But when you will compare what Israel has done with Gaza, what, let's say, the UK and other Western forces did in fighting ISIS in, in, in Syria and in Iraq, you'll see that actually we, we, we have succeeded uh, through our measures to keep the level of civilian casualties very, very low. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bidal-Brill. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. Mm-hmm.